Well, as Pastor Andrea said, today is Graduate Recognition Sunday, which makes it uh, not only a special Sunday in general, uh, but makes it a special Sunday for me specifically. For 24 years, I've been pastoring, and for a good number of those years, uh, for about 15 of them, I was a youth pastor and had the opportunity as a youth pastor and also as a senior pastor uh, from time to time to tag team with a graduating senior. And uh, I'll admit that uh, since about 17 years ago, I began to wonder, will I have the opportunity someday to graduate with one of my, or to preach with one of my own graduating seniors? And uh, today we get this chance. So uh, Amy, I'm glad you're up here and, and willing to join me for today's message. How are you feeling about this? Pretty good. Pretty good. You ready? I think so. Are you nervous? A little bit. Okay. So an old speaker's trick is if you get nervous, just imagine the people in their underwear. <laughs> And now we're all equally, un equally uncomfortable, so we'll be fine. <laughs> so Amy, most people, uh, I think most people who are part of our congregation, whether they're in this room or the other venue or online, uh, they know that we've homeschooled you since day one of kindergarten. <laughs> uh, but, but maybe not everybody realizes that for the last two years of your high school career, you were taking courses at the Elkhart Area Career Center. Would you take a moment and tell us a little bit about that program and, and share with us something that really, you know, God has uh, stirred your passion and your heart on? Sure. So I was a student in the cardiology program at the Career Center, which is designed to help students earn their certificate to be an EKG technician so they can work in the hospital. Um, all of the classes we took to achieve this goal focused on the heart and its different parts and how they work together. Um, I, through this program, I learned how fascinating the heart is because it has so many different parts set up in such a delicate way, and yet the heart interacts with every other system in the body. Um, the very first thing that we learned when we came into this class was the purpose of the heart. So what is the purpose of the heart? The purpose of the heart is to supply the rest of the cells in the body with nutrients and oxygen by pumping blood. But then we had to learn how it worked. So we started by learning the heart in different sections. So the first system we learned about was the cardiac conduction system, which is made up of special cells that send electrical stimuli to the muscles of the heart, telling them when to contract. And then we learned about the muscles. The cardiac muscles form four different chambers in the heart. The right and left atria, which are the two upper chambers, and the right and left ventricles, which are the two lower chambers. Inside the heart, there's four different valves that direct the blood so that it can't go backwards, which would be bad. So in between the atria and the ventricles, you have the tricuspid and the bicuspid valves, and then in between the ventricles and the major blood vessels are the aortic and the pulmonic valves. And then we learned about the coronary arteries. The coronary arteries cover the outside of the heart and bring blood to the muscle of the heart so that it can do its job. If the heart does not have the oxygen that the coronary arteries bring, the muscle begins to die. So once we learned about all the systems separately, then we put them together and learned how the blood actually flows through the heart. So first, the, heart, the blood comes into the heart in the right atrium. Two things have to happen before the blood can move to the next section. The sinoatrial node, which is the beginning of the cardiac conduction system, has to send an impulse to the muscles in the right atrium telling it to contract. And then the tricuspid valve has to open so that the blood can go through it into the right ventricle. Once the blood is in the right ventricle, the electrical impulse continues to travel through the heart and ends up in the Purkinje fibers, which stimulate the ventricle to contract. Then the pulmonic valve opens and the blood goes through the pulmonic valve to the lungs. Once it comes back from the lungs, it enters into the left atrium. Both atria contract at the same time, so just like it did when it entered the right atrium, the left atrium is stimulated by the electrical impulse and it contracts and the blood now goes through the open valve. 
Then it goes into the left ventricle, and the left ventricle works in sync with the right ventricle. The impulses come to the Purkinje fibers in the left ventricle, and it contracts, sending blood through the aortic valve to the rest of the body. The crazy part about all of this is that this cycle happens in a fraction of a second, about 770 milliseconds. So the two atria, which are at the top, contract at the first, first at the same time, and that takes about 100 milliseconds, which is faster than you can snap your finger. Then the two ventricles contract at the same time, which takes about 270 milliseconds. And then the heart is at rest for about 400 milliseconds. Now, none of this would be able to happen if the cells in the heart did not have energy. And this is where the coronary arteries came in. These arteries bring blood to the muscle of the heart so that it can have oxygen, so that it can do its job. If for some reason these arteries become blocked, the heart muscle can begin to die. So you can see that every part of the heart serves a different purpose, but they all fit together perfectly to keep the heart pumping. If any one of these parts stops working, then the heart cannot do its job. It's really fascinating to me how something the size of your fist can have so many intricate parts, but they all work together to keep your body alive. Thank you for the science lesson. You did a great job. It's okay to clap for, that's fine. If you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you take it and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Now, just to be clear, we're not setting up like a, a science and theology dichotomy here. It's not like we've had the science lesson, now we're going to have the theology lesson. We believe, amen, church, we believe that God created the body, and so even an overview on how the heart works is just a little bit of theology. It helps us to see what God is up to and how his fingerprints are all over even the parts of our body that we know work and sometimes don't work, but maybe we don't always know how they work as, as well as has been shared here. And what we're going to see in today's passage is that this intersection between um, biology, science, and theology is a lot closer than we realize, and, uh, and we can see God's fingerprints all over both of them. Amy, you did a great job of, uh, of helping us to understand this system, this one part of the body, and how the many systems make up that one part, and how they work together for the purpose of getting blood to the rest of our body, uh, which of course carries nutrients and oxygen, like you said, and, and we need that to live. What we're going to see in today's passage is that Paul Paul uh, uses an analogy, a metaphor of the body, not specifically the heart, um, and he wouldn't have had near that ability to, to verbalize that, but uh, he talks about the body and relates it to what God is doing among his people. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to ask you to follow along as we read. Uh, Amy and I will uh, we'll read this together, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as the body, or as we've heard today, the heart, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, we're not actually in the Back to the Basics series this week. We'll return to that next week, but catch... This is what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You, you encounter the Holy Spirit at baptism, and uh, when you became a believer, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He came to lead and guide you. We all have that in common as followers of Christ. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now we are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. So what Paul does here is he uses the body as an analogy for what God is doing among us as, uh, you know, in, the, in the church and through the church. And, and really, there's, he says multiple things here, but there's three things that Amy and I would like to draw out and draw your attention to today. And, and the first thing that Paul mentions here is that the church has a purpose. The church has a purpose, like the heart has a purpose to carry oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. The church has a purpose, and that is to be the body of Christ. Notice how he talks about this. I'm going to read again verse 12 and verse 27. In verse 12, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then, and then jump down to verse 27, where Paul drives it home. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, a healthy ecclesiology, that's a big word that just means an understanding of church. A healthy understanding of the church tells us that there are some um, responsibilities that the local church have. There are specific roles that God designed for the local church. And these would be things like a communion and baptism, a preaching and teaching, worship, um, evangelism and discipleship, fellowship, and you know, there'd be a few others that, that God said specifically, these belong to the local church to do. And as we study those and, and, and think about them, as we try to kind of boil them all down and find what is their common denominator, I think one of the key things about the local church is that we are to present uh, an image of who Jesus is. We are to be a visible representation of Jesus Christ. We're his physical manifestation on the earth in our community. Or, or maybe you've heard it said like this, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Or you are the only Jesus some people will ever see. I think there's truth in those statements. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the only Jesus that some will ever see. And I think that's one of the reasons there are so many local churches in communities like ours. It's not just because we can't get along on details. It's, it's not just because, you know, 
there's, there's some kind of power-hungry church leadership that, you know, that drives people away or, or, or whatever the case may be. It's, it's because it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. I mean, just think about it. You, you probably know this to be true. Some people don't really feel at home in a large church setting. They need a smaller church in which they can worship. Some people like lively, unpredictable worship. And some people really want kind of calm, routine liturgy. Um, some people want to be surrounded by people just like them. They, they, they feel most comfortable when everybody is, you know, maybe their same station of life, their same socioeconomic makeup, their, uh, you know, their same race. But other people are like, no, I want to be around people of different generations. I, 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 I want to be where people aren't like me. That's, that's where I experience the kingdom of God best. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And I would suggest if we were to take it one step further, it takes all kinds of people, individuals, and families to reach all kinds of people and individuals and families. Over my years in pastoral ministry, I've heard many times where someone would would come and would say, um, we're going to find a new church. And one of the reasons we're finding a new church is because there's, there's just not a lot of people like us here. Like, there's not a, we just don't have a lot of friends in the congregation. I suppose there's two ways that you can look at that, that reality, that, that relational dynamic. The, the first is to, to have this sense that it's the church's responsibility to supply me with friends and to fill out my social circle. And so if the church isn't doing that, if I don't feel like I'm making friendships, I'm going to go find another local church where perhaps I can. And, and, I, and I understand that. We all desire to be friends with the people we worship with. And that's a, that's a good thing. We, we saw that firsthand yesterday at Amy's graduation open house as people from Beulah just streamed in and, and, uh, and, then, and then sat or stood and talked for long periods of time. We, we love to be together. We want to have good relationships. That's a good thing. But if I'm expecting the church to fill out my social circle, how am I being the hands and feet or the physical, visible representation of Jesus to, to people who will only see Jesus in me? If I'm just concerned about my friends here, what about the other people who, who God wants me to represent Jesus to? And really, I think that's the second way we can look at this whole thing about relationships in the local church. If I don't feel like I'm gelling with people here or my, my social circle isn't the way that I want it to be with people from church, then maybe one of my options is to look at my other circles, where I live, where I work, uh, um, you know, family, immediate or extended, uh, you know, where I do my hobbies and, and start to say, 
how could I introduce those people to my church family? Could I invite them to church? Could, could I invite them to become part of that circle of my life? Could I introduce them to Jesus and to his manifest presence on earth through my local church? You see, the, the church has a purpose, The local church has a purpose. Beulah Missionary Church has a purpose, and that's to represent Christ, to be a physical, visible demonstration of who he is to people who may never see it any other way. To show our community, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, and this is how he lives, and this is how he operates. But we can't do that if we're all focused on what I need and what I want. Like to go back to Amy's opening, if each system of the heart decided someday that it was most concerned about what it needed and it wasn't going to do anything else till it got what it needed, well, we'd all be laying here having heart attacks, right? I mean, the systems have to work together. The parts of the body have to work together to accomplish what God has designed it to accomplish. And it's the same, of, uh, the same is true of us. If we as a church are going to do what God designed us to do, we can't be concerned about me and what I want and my needs. We have to be concerned about God's purpose for the body and what's my part in that. How do I work with my fellow church members to accomplish what God has asked us to accomplish? And that really kind of brings us to our second point today, Amy. Will you talk to us about the church and how we're made up of many? Sure. So we know that the church is made up of many different parts and different people. God has given each person a gift, something they're good at, and placed them in the church body so that they can best use that gift. Everyone does not have the same gift, and while it may seem that some gifts are more important than others, every gift is vital for the church to do what it is supposed to do. If a person decides that they no longer want to serve God in the way that he has made them to serve, not only are they disobeying God, but they're also hindering the church's ability to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. For example, we have the coffee bar out there on Sunday mornings, and every Sunday one person from the Connections Cafe team will come in early before everyone else is here and set up the coffee bar and start making the coffee. Now, what would happen if that person decided they weren't going to come in early anymore? Then we wouldn't have coffee in time for Sunday school, and the Sunday school teachers wouldn't get their coffee and maybe fall asleep in the middle of their lesson, right? So that may be a silly example, but do you see what I'm... That's the real reason why we're waiting to start Sunday school till later in the year, because we have to be able to serve coffee to have Sunday... No, not really. I'm teasing. That that part's a joke. (laughs) So the barista who starts that coffee in the morning is relied on by the Sunday school teachers to give them that needed boost of energy. And the Sunday school teachers are relied on by the barista to drink the coffee that he or she prepared. Both groups are serving God in an area where they have been gifted, and they're working together to accomplish a greater goal. God has given each of us gifts that equip us to serve in different areas, and we best accomplish his plan when we serve in the way he created us to. But not only are we different in the gifts we have been given, but also in our characteristics and personalities. I've participated in this youth group event called SOS, or Summer of Service, for about seven years. During this one weekend event, youth groups from all around the area go out into the community and do different service projects. There was one year that our youth group was struggling to find an adult sponsor that would take our students. And so, just like he has with so many other youth group events, Greg Mercer decided that he would be the one to go to SOS with us. So one of the service projects we ended up helping with that week was a dollar car wash. 
At the end of the car wash, once we had washed and dried the car, one student and one adult would go up to the car and give the person a dollar. Instead of taking their dollar from them, we actually gave them a dollar. And then we would ask the person if there was any way we could pray for them. And this part always made me a little, a little nervous. You know, talking to strangers can be kind of nerve-wracking, and sometimes I would freeze up. But this year, Mercer and I were teamed together to go up to the car. And if you know Mercer, you know that he's really good at talking to people. He's outgoing, he's good at striking up conversations. So we got into this rhythm where Greg Mercer would start the conversation and introduce himself and then introduce me, and then we would work together to pray for the person if they had any prayer requests. And it worked really well. Um, I started to feel more comfortable talking to and praying for these strangers because I had watched and listened to Greg Mercer do it so many times. Now, Mercer and I are very different people, right? I'm a teenager, he's an adult. He has had many years of life experience, and I've had a few. Greg Mercer is great at talking to people, and sometimes it takes a little bit more effort on my part. I have brown hair, and Mercer's hair is white. Um, <laughs> he is retired, and I'm just starting my working years. The list of differences could go on and on. So what would have happened that weekend if Mercer and I decided that our differences were too great and we couldn't work together? Then we would have missed out on the, the work God wanted us to do that weekend. We would have... But instead, we used our differences to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who may have never encountered Jesus before. And this is not just true about students and youth leaders. I mean, think about it. If you look around at our church family, there's differences between us, right? Some of us are young. Some of us are older. <laughs> some of us are married. Some of us are single. Some of us are tech savvy. And some of us still aren't quite sure what Bluetooth is. Some of us hated school. Some of us taught school. And others of us taught teachers how to teach school. Some of us don't like loud music. And some of us want it so loud we can feel it in our bones. Some of us were homeschooled. And some of us were public schooled. Some of us love to travel. While others of us are homebodies. Some of us are gifted in leadership. While others of us are great at making sure all of the behind-the-scenes tasks are taken care of. Some of us love yard work. And some of us would be thrilled if we never had to worry about it again. <laughs> some of us are incredibly talented when it comes to music. And some of us can't carry a tune in a bucket. Some of us love sports. While others of us are just glad when the Indianapolis Cubs score a goal. <laughs> some of us love going to the beach. And some of us would rather take a hike and probably need to. Some of us love watching movies. While others of us would prefer to read a good book. Some of us are super outgoing and love being in large groups of people. While others of us prefer to get to know small groups of people. Some of us are dog people. And some of us prefer snakes. Some of us are always on top of our laundry. But it takes others of us eight to ten business days to fold theirs. Some of us love working with children. But some of us prefer to work with teenagers. And others of us prefer to share our wisdom with adults. Some of us mark in our Bibles. Others of us prefer not to. Some of us grew up with our biological family. Others of us were raised by an adoptive family. Some of us have seen our adult children come back to faith in Jesus. And others of us are still praying for adult children to return to Jesus. Some of us are retired. Some of us are working age. And some of us are still enjoying years of childhood. Some of us are welcoming new life into our families. And others of us are grieving the departure of a loved one. Some of us have been following Jesus for as many as eight decades. 
While others of us have been following Jesus for eight weeks. All of this diversity is the way that God wants it. It's his design that we would be different, that, uh, that, that we would not all be the same because it takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. But that only happens. All kinds of people only reach all kinds of people. That only happens when all kinds of different people understand that they're actually one, that there's actually more that we have in common than what separates us. And that leads us to our third point today, the the church is one. Notice that that's what Paul is teaching here. That's the, the whole undercurrent of these verses we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are many and we are different, but most importantly, what we have in common is more significant than how we differ. Notice how he says it in verse 13. Uh, If you have your scripture open, maybe you want to underline or circle a couple words here. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, for we were all, circle that word all, that's a crucial word, for we were all baptized by one spirit. Go ahead and, and circle or underline that word one. So as to form, here's the word again, one body. Circle or underline that word one whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all, there it is again, all, that means everybody who's a follower of Christ, we were all given one spirit, or your text may say the same spirit, depending on which version you're reading from, to drink. So Paul's clearly emphasizing that although we're many and we're different, when it comes right down to it, we're all one. We all have some key things in common, and it's rooted in who the Spirit of God is. He talks about some differences, just to kind of, um, you, know, you know, just as a representative sample, for example. He talks about Jews and, and Gentiles. This, this is first and foremost perhaps an ethnic identity. It may not translate so well into our day and age, but if we were to translate it, we may, uh, we may think about different skin colors. We may say uh, any person who's following Jesus Christ, whether they're black or whether they're white, whether they're Hispanic or if they're Asian or if there's some combination of, of multiple races, anyone who has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior fits in the body of Christ and has a place and belongs, and deserves to have the body of Christ stand up for him. It's not only an ethnic identity, but it's a religious identity. Jews and and Gentiles was uh, was about what they believed and who they served. And and again, that doesn't translate to us, but but we can understand because even uh, in in this room or in the venue or you at home, if you're watching, if you think about our church family, we have people in our congregation who grew up in a Christian home and they embraced Jesus at an early age and they've followed Jesus their whole life. But we also have people who rebelled in life and then eventually came back or returned to Christ. We have people among us who really didn't know about Jesus Christ and his saving work until they were later in life as adults at some point. And even crossing all those barriers, we have people who come to church every Sunday or who watch the live stream and who just really feel like they can't get this Christianity thing together. 
They just, they just don't know. Are they good enough? Are they, are they pleasing enough? It's hard for them to live as a Christian. And, and, and some of us just wonder what's wrong with us. Why can't I do this thing? He talks about slave and free, and that's kind of like a station of life issue. And, and, uh, and of course, we've got people from all kinds of station of lives. I love looking out among the live audience in this room today, and, and, I, and I see as young as, as uh, well, pre-elementary, all the way up through uh, senior seniors. This is fantastic. We all are from different stations of life, and it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see what's different, but catch what Scripture is saying here. All of the things that we see as differences pale in comparison to what God has done for us. Everything that makes us different is not nearly as important as the fact that Jesus Christ died so that each of us could be forgiven, and we all need that. He sent the Holy Spirit before we even knew what that meant, to draw us to himself. All of us. He did that for all of us. No one is a Christian today who wasn't first drawn by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, after uh, conversion, after we chose to follow Jesus, has given each of us gifts so that we can engage and partner with God and what he's doing in our church and in our world. The Holy Spirit works in each of us continually to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And, and we all need that. We all need to continually be cleansed. The Holy Spirit speaks to each of us as we read and interact with God's Word. And, and none of us understands God's Word the way He intends without the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. It's interesting to talk about what makes us different. It's fun, and we can laugh about it. We can, we can make those comparisons. But those things only matter once we nail down what we have in common. We are all sinners who heard God's Spirit calling us to repentance, and we responded to God's amazing grace. We, we received that. We confessed that we needed the salvation only Jesus Christ could offer us. And then we're spending the rest of our days trying to work out our salvation with the confidence that the same God is working in each of us to produce His perfect will in our lives. When we live like that, with those things as our common bond, all of our differences aren't a detriment. They're beautiful. They're what makes us strong. They're, they're what makes us effective and powerful in a world, as we've seen over the last couple weeks, that would prefer to divide people based on what's different from us instead of unite people on something that's greater than us, that we all have in common, that we cannot deny. So what do we do with all this? What, do we, uh, what Paul's teaching here, how does that make a difference in our lives? Let us suggest maybe kind of three application points that maybe we can wrap our, our fingers around today. Um, why don't you start with number one? The first suggestion is get to know the people around you. Uh, maybe I should do that one. <laughs> Would you like to say it? Get to know the people around Fantastic. you. Fantastic, <laughs> good work. All right. So this is one of the things that, that Sarah and I have always said that we appreciate about Beulah Missionary Church. 
this church has embraced our family and our children in ways that kind of escape words for me and Sarah. Um, so our youngest son, Zeke, he's 12, uh, but over the last several years, there have been men in our congregation who have poured into his life, and it's not always in like some grand mentoring way, but just befriending him. For example, Bob McLuhan, who's not with us today, uh, I mean, in the, in the room, uh, um, he's our head usher, and, and every Sunday, he ropes Zeke in on Sunday, and he says, hey, would you help me get the building ready? Bob has things that he does throughout the building to get it ready for people coming for worship, and, and he, he ropes Zeke in and asks him to help, and Zeke actually likes it and looks forward to it, and if Bob forgets, Zeke's already two steps ahead of him. Um, it's really kind of cool to see, and, and I love it. I love it that a a man of God who's significantly more life experienced than me and and different than me is pouring into my son and helping my son to see uh, how God works in each of us, though we're different. And and of course, Bob's not the only man. Zeke's often mentioning what this guy did or what that guy said. And, and, uh, you know, Zeke's been the recipient of men who have poured into him in, in, in children's ministry and in student ministry here, and it's fantastic. Or uh, we have a, a middle daughter, her name's Anna, and, and several, it's been more than months back, um, Sarah and I were downtown Elkhart, and we popped into Rhonda Podachuk's bakery when it was in downtown Elkhart. We just wanted to check it out and see her, and, and she gave us a tour of the place. Is that you back there, Rhonda? So she can vouch for this. This is true. Um, she gave us a tour of the place. And as we were talking, we mentioned, she didn't really know Anna. We, we mentioned that Anna was interested in working in hospitality or food service when she became adult and that she may even want to own a bakery. And, and Rhonda got excited and invited Anna to come to the bakery and you know, said she'd teach her some things. And, and Sarah and I walked out of the bakery that day going, this was so cool. That's not why we went in there. But here, Rhonda just wanted to give of herself. Or uh, normally, Amy, of course, isn't up here tag-teaming with me. (laughs) Normally, she's sitting back in the AV booth making the magic happen back there. You all haven't really had a chance to see it. Well, you've seen the magic, I suppose, in the live stream, but you haven't seen what happens in the booth. It's pretty incredible. Amy's been doing that for years, and the relationships that, that are forming in that booth are incredible. Um, so, uh, for example, Amy has uh, developed a relationship with Nate and Kate, and, and many of you know Nate and Kate, and, and it's so exciting to me and Sarah that our college-age, that our college-age daughter, <laughs> I can hardly say that without choking up, is building relationships with a young adult couple who's just the other side of college. I mean, those things are cool. Now, 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 I say all those things not to brag. My kids don't have those relationships with these people just because their dad is the pastor here. I prefer to think it's because our family made a commitment. This is our church. And so we're going to get involved here. We're going to invest in relationships here. We're, we're going to get to know people. So what about you? If this is your church... Can you look around the sanctuary today or the venue or could you flip through a directory for those who are at home and could you name people just by seeing their face? Could you do more than that? Could you say something that you know about them, some way that you've interacted with them, a common memory that you share with them? If not, why not? We're one body made up of many parts but we really only function as one body when the many parts 
work together, which means we need to know each other. We need to be able to interact with each other. We need to be able to invest in each other relationally. I'm telling you, you will be incredibly blessed and you will be an incredible blessing to others if you'll take some time and get to know some people that, that you don't know. And it may be a little embarrassing to say, oh, I've been coming here for 10 years and they've been coming here for most of that time and we've never really talked. <laughs> okay, we all know it. So just go do it. Go say, let's get to know each other. Can we go out for dinner? Can we go out for lunch? Can, can, you, can you come over for a campfire? I mean, do it in a socially responsible way. Uh, but do it. It'll be a blessing. You'll be blessed. The second application we want to suggest is to do your part. Right. So the church is meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, but we can't do that if each of us is working together to do our part. God has designed a place for you at Beulah, and I'm sure that place can match up with the gift God has given you. If you love to talk to people, maybe working with the Connections team would be a great fit for you. Or maybe if you enjoy cooking, baking, or being creative in the kitchen, maybe serving with the kitchen crew would be an area where you could thrive. Or if you enjoy working with children, I'm sure you'd be a great fit with the children's ministry. Or if you enjoy technology, lighting, music, or sound, I'm sure you could get involved with the audiovisual and worship teams. We have a team of trustees that keep the building looking nice, and if you enjoy handyman work or yard work, you would be a great addition to that team. There's so many areas where you can utilize the gift God has given you to further the kingdom of God. Any area where you get involved, whether big or small, is important to the plan God has for Beulah. And even if you aren't sure what your gifts are or how you can be involved, there are still ways you can serve. All it takes is willing hands and a teachable spirit. If that's you, if you're not sure what your gift is or where you would be a good fit, you can talk to one of our pastors and see if there's an area that, that you could get involved with. And then the third point we want to talk about today is that we need to embrace the differences between us. There's something interesting that happens in churches when new people start to come. There can be this sense of fear arise in the people who aren't new, who have called that their church for years, that all these new people are going to take our church somewhere we don't want it to go. And there may be some truth in that. New, different people may take our church in a new, different way that you don't want it to go. But we have to trust that if God brings us new people and it takes us in a new direction, that it's not the people taking us in that direction, that it's God taking us in that direction. You see, Beulah, and I, and I know some of you in this room and, and watching online and in the small gym, I know you're part of these people, but there are people praying for Beulah that God would bring us the people he wants us to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only as we go out, but also as, as people just come in. That that would be by God's design. There are people praying that God would bring us new believers or stagnant believers that he wants us to disciple, to help continue growing in him. There's people praying that God would bring to us mature believers, spiritual parents who would partner with us in what God wants us to do. And so we really need to take a posture of faith that says, when God brings us new people, we're not going to be afraid of that. We're not going to hold them at arm's length. We're going to say, these people, 
this person, this family, these are a gift from God, and it's something that he wants for our church. Notice how Paul says this in verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, I'm not preaching at Beulah on this point. Truthfully, I think one of our strengths as a church, we, we can pat ourselves on the back with a, with a God-honoring pride. We are good at welcoming people into our body. I hear that time and time again, and I see some people, even in this room, who are newer to the congregation, who when I said that, their heads started nodding. That was their experience. We're good at that. We consistently get that feedback. I sometimes wonder, though, when someone's no longer a guest and they feel warm and welcome enough to stay here and, and start calling Beulah their church home, their church family, are we as quick to embrace them and give them responsibilities to make them a healthy, functioning part of our congregation? Maybe I shouldn't say make them, but to help them become a healthy, functioning part of our congregation. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I think that we could be a little bit better at that. We could be quicker to fold people in, to give them responsibilities based on what we see the Holy Spirit doing in them and in us. Here's what it all boils down to. This whole church idea, it's God's idea. Beulah Missionary Church was God's design. It has been for over a century that we've been meeting together and worshiping together. This is God's idea. He came up with the idea of church. He came up with Beulah Missionary Church because he wants our community to have a visible representation of who Jesus is because there are people in our community that only our church can reach because of who we are and how God has put us together. If we'll focus on what we have in common in God's spirit with every believer, if we will focus more on that than our differences, if we'll truly value the diversity that God puts in his body and those who follow him, then we'll be able to accomplish what God wants us to, to represent Jesus Christ to our community, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to help people who will see Jesus no other way see him in us. Beulah, we can do that as each part does its work. We can work as one for God's glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for uh, uh, this whole church idea this whole idea of a called out group of people who would be a, a visible, physical representation of who Jesus is to their community, to their world. Father, we thank you for uh, the idea of Beulah Missionary Church, a, a place of healing and comfort and restoration, a, a place where people can be vindicated, that, uh, that they can know that they are following Jesus Christ that we can continue to grow up in our faith. Father, would you help us as a church Thanks. to not focus on what separates us, but to fix our eyes on the one who unites us, the Holy Spirit in whom we've all been baptized or will soon be baptized, the Holy Spirit who's been given to each of us as a helper and a guide.
Father, we love you. We thank you for our church, and we ask that you'd continue to help us to live up to the calling that you've given us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.